something that's happening, happening in the world. So I just want, to, want you to quickly show that flight, that first photo on us. So this is, this is a revival that's happening in, in Osbury University in Kentucky. So if you, if you don't know where it is, just think of KFC, Kentucky. And that's, that's the queue outside. And apparently it's a lot longer now. And I just sent a re, got a report from somebody that I know that's in, that was standing in the queue. They said li- people are literally on their, on their knees outside of the meeting, repenting and confessing their sins. So God's definitely doing something. And it also spread to five universities. So I have a big heart for, for universities because that's where, where I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where my ministry really started is in Stellenbosch, in the University of Stellenbosch. So I know how important the university campuses are for what God wants to do in this, in this earth. Um, just spoke in this week to our pastor in Porchestrum. I don't know if you've received that voice note from a lady saying we're not allowed to pray on Porchestrum campus. Where have you received that? Okay, so apparently it's a little exaggerated, but there's some truth to it. For instance, all of the first years in residences were forced to listen to the to what Luke called the, the alphabet people, the LBTQT plus one people. And they had to listen to how, what kind of pronouns you're allowed to use and what pronouns you're not allowed to use for when speaking and engaging with these people. And then there was a, a, apparently a, one of the house committee members who prayed over first years and he was, he was stopped because what if somebody is not a, not a Christian? So there's definitely something happening there. And what they are doing now, and this is how God works. He's never, he's never doing these things or allowing these things for us to take offense or to, to hate the world. But he actually creates opportunities through these things to stir our hearts so we can engage in prayer, but also engage with, with the gospel. So both our church there and some other churches and also the Fire and Fragrance people, what they're seeing, they're seeing it as an opportunity, an open door. Because suddenly people are speaking about Porch of Struem and what's happening on the campus, and they want to use that, utilize what God's doing there so that they can preach the gospel. So they've, they've picked up even in the way that they started like in, in prayer. They're going to go longer in prayer. They're going to go more. Uh, hard out in, in evangelism, because where there's a crisis, there's always an opportunity. Winston Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to, go to waste. And there's, there's that prophetic word that we, that we received when I was in, in Pochostrum that said, the Lord will break out with revival in Pochostrum, in George, and also in Paul. And I, I think it can't be coincidence that James is was last night he was at an event called, it's a big worship event in one of the Iraqi fields there that's called Paul Revival. So the reason why I'm saying this is let's just start that conversation with the Lord. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in our midst? What are you doing in South Africa? Where are you leading us? What do you want us to do? How can we bring revival and reformation to our cities and to our nation? Because we need change. We all can see the trajectory. It's not positive. So the church has actually been given the assignment to disciple 
not only cities, but nations. So how can we do that? What, what kind of role can we, can we play? And we're going to talk about that a little. Um, so when we talk about revival and reformation, I'm just going to read the, the definition for you again, and then we're going to jump into, into the Word of God. So revival means it's a visitation of God that revives individuals and communities in bringing them back to their original purpose and design in Jesus Christ. So when we look at church history, we see these moments in in church meetings where God would come and visit, and those individuals that partook in these meetings then got revived in who they are, but also what they're called to do. And I think all of us want that. We're asking those questions. Who am I, and what is my purpose in life? For instance, in the Andrew Murray revival that's happening in the 1860s in Worcester, how that happened was there was a young colored girl who stood up during a meeting, a youth meeting, and sometimes we need to listen and focus on what is happening in our youth. And she started singing a song, and the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing wind, and everybody just fell to the ground on the floor, repenting and confessing their sin. Andrew Murray, who was the leader of the church at that stage, he came from the main church building because was boring there, and then he came to the, he heard something was happening in the youth meeting, and he came in there, and he tried to stop it, because everybody was just on their own, confessing their sin, repenting, and was a little emotional. And if you read the reports of the revival in the 1860s, you see that it, yes, eventually it came into the church, but it actually started among the farming communities. It was a uh, the wife of a farmer, there was a prophet called Saul, and they started having these interracial meetings, 1860, in Worcester, in the farming communities. And then from there, that revival spread into the church, and then what happened was people suddenly realized, wow, this is what we're called to do. This is what God is calling us to. God's so much more real than the chair that I'm sitting on. God's so much more real than than who I thought he was. He's so much more real. And then purpose from there came into the church. So University of Salamash, founded from that revival. Polrus Gymnasium, founded from that revival. So uh, the, the Institute of the Blind, the Institute of Deaf in Worcester, founded from that revival. Andrew Murray started a school that would equip and teach girls. Because back in the days, it was men, and then the girls were sort of like second-rated citizens of of South Africa, equipped the girls and educated them so that they can also have proper jobs when they're older. It started from revival. So it's this idea that when we meet with God, God's going to stir something in our hearts and then we're going to find our purpose. So that's why we're crying out, say, Lord, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Show us who you are. Touch us, change us. So that when we go out, we will be different. So we will be able to transform society. So that's the, the definition of revival. The reformation is when a visitation of God impacts society to the extent that it reforms every sphere of life to reflect the kingdom of God. For instance, the Moravians who came to South Africa, some of you 
might know the Moravian Church, they they started in Genadendal, if you know where Genadendal, Greiten, you know where Greiten is? You can still go there and visit their museum, but what they did is they taught people in uh, to in watchmaking and carpentry. Still, if you can find Genadendal furniture, some of the best furniture is still Genadendal's furniture. So it's not only meaning with Jesus, but also God wanting to use what you have, your skills, your talents to change the world and to bring something like a product. Think of how practical is a table, how practical is a chair into, into the world. So reformation that spreads and impacts society. So today I want to talk about something that, um, that started coming into the church around the 1960s. And back then, what happened was the church sort of waited for the rapture. In the 1960s, there was a, the big idea. Israel just got uh, read or acknowledged as a nation. So people thought, well, this is going to be the end. We're just waiting for Jesus to come back. And then the church basically lost their influence in the world. And then God spoke to a couple of people and said, no, the church is still the salt, the church is still the light, the, still, the church is still the leaven, and we should invade society with service so that society can reflect the glory of God. And one of the scriptures that came about in that movement where God spoke to the church and said, hey, you actually have a role to play outside of the four walls of the church was in Isaiah 2 verse 2. And it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. So it was this idea that God is establishing a mountain which is the kingdom of God and it will be raised up higher than all the other mountains. In other words, there will be influence for the mountain of God in the area of business, in the area of education, in the area of government. And we're going to get to that a little later. But the idea is that God's calling the church to be salt and light and leaven outside of the four walls of, of the church. So let's see what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like salt, Jesus said. Matthew 5, 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot. So, when you put salt into a poikikos, what happens? It spreads through the whole poikikos. It's impossible to remove it unless you do some really hectic scientific experiment with it. So God's saying, you are the salt of the world, of the earth. We should put ourselves within the poikikos of the world, and we should spread ourselves, and we should enhance what God's doing. So salt, amazing, it enhances the flavor. It doesn't necessarily change the flavor, it enhances the flavor. So it's basically what God's saying is, what am I doing, church? 
Open your eyes. See the glory of God. And then you go and partner with me in that area, whether it's inside the church, outside the church, the family, neighborhood, business, government, and you go and enhance the flavor of what I'm already doing. So are we the flavor? No, not necessarily. We're just enhancing the flavor of God. But as a part, in a partnership, we can do that. And then Jesus carries on and he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light the lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify you and your amazing talents? No. Glorify your Father in heaven. So God says, you are the light. When you have Jesus on the inside of you, you are the light. It is impossible for you not to be the light. So when we walk into the room or we walk into a city or walk into an area of influence, we are the light. It is impossible for darkness to overwhelm what's on the inside of you. And I think the church is becoming aware of this. And if you understand a little bit of what's happening in the, the demonic sphere, in the spiritual realm, you understand that all of us carry this light and, and demons hate it. The devil takes knowledge. He, he acknowledges when he sees you. We, we have friends um, that went to this esoteric festival in Johannesburg. And uh, so there was all the kind of different spiritualists uh, that put up a stand. And then they also put up a stand there and just basically saying they, they're Christian and they understand they're the light of the world and salt to, to the earth. And then one of the Hare Krishna guys came to them and said, hey, it's, it's interesting. I can, I can see in the spirit, you only have one light on you. The light that you represent, we, we have many different lights, small little lights, but you have one light on you. And they said, yes. We have one light and that's the light of God that's on the inside of us. And it's burning through the oil of the Holy, Holy Spirit. So the spiritual realm, which is more real than what you can see, by the way, because God created from who he was and he is or still is from the spirit he created everything we can see so god is more real than the chair that you're sitting on is that true that's true and the spiritual realm is very very real ephesians 6 says that our fight is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and the principalities in the air so there's there's a war going on and as we position ourselves in jesus christ we get these weapons but we need to understand that we have these weapons and then we have this light. So we, how, do you, how do you eradicate darkness from a room? How do you drive it out? You go to the light switch and you switch it on. It's as simple as that. You just say, hey, Lord. Yeah, and George, I'm going to be the light. I'm going to walk into that office and I'm going to be the light. And somehow we think, no, our light's so small, we cannot do anything. No, if you plug into Jesus, He's your light. 
And it speaks of the of us doing good deeds. So it's not you're allowed to do good deeds. And when people see them, point them towards Jesus. Tell them your testimony. Say, yo, you think I'm a good guy now. You should have seen me 10 years ago. You know what happened? God changed me. I met with Jesus Christ. And therefore, I have a light inside of me. Can I share with you how to also get hold of this light? Are you willing to lay down your life to also receive what, I, what I've received? We are the light of the world. And then Matthew 13, 33, it's, it's Jesus again. He says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So again, God's using, he's saying, hey, here's a substance. If you put it into the dough, if you put it into the flour, it spreads through, throughout the whole piece of dough. It's not, it doesn't stay there. It doesn't stay within the four walls of the church. It goes into every sphere of society. It's impossible to keep it from doing that. So there are three substances that God compares the kingdom of God to, and all of them are invasive. It's like, I'm going to put it there, and it's going to start doing its job. And that's the church. I'm going to put it there. I'm going to put it yeah, in, in George. I'm going to put it in Mosselbay. I'm going to put it in Oetschwering. I'm going to put it in the neighborhood. And it's going to start doing its job. It's going to invade the atmosphere. So now I want to come back to that mountain idea. So how and where can we invade? And when I'm talking about invasion, I'm not talking about we are better than the world. We know more. We're coming from a place of arrogance and we say, listen here, we have God behind us. We're going to destroy you and we're going to make everything Christian. Nobody that's not Christian is allowed to have any kind of senior leadership position in the city. That's not God's way of doing things. Jesus, how did he do it? He came as a servant. He came and served the world. And by serving, that's when our substance, who we are, comes to the fore. That's how we become the light. That's how the salt actually remains salty, is when we serve. Not when we try and dominate. Some people have used this kind of theology to say, okay, we're just, we're just going to put Christians in every every seat of governance in a society and then everything will be fine. No, it won't be fine. What we need to do is we need to serve. We need to serve. We need to serve. That's what Jesus did. He was exalted because he was a servant. Jesus himself says, if you want to be great, then you must become a servant. That's why for me, one of the most godly things that we can do is we can train our people to go into into a business environment where the boss is not necessarily a Christian and where it's very difficult for you to just walk and talk as a Christian, but you just keep on serving. Year after year, you keep on serving. And because of you being the light and you being the salt, and it's impossible for you not to have influence, that boss calls you in and he says, hey, tell me, why are you doing it in this way? I've tried my best in a way to irritate you, to aggravate you to a point 
where you give up your good moral values and your good attitude. Why are you doing this? And then you're like, because I have Jesus on the inside of me. Daniel found himself in Babylon serving this very, very evil king. And he was, eventually he was taken to a place where he was given this 2IC, second in charge position of this, of this, um, of this nation. So here are a couple of areas that we can get involved, involved in. So if you want to think that, if you, want to, if you want to change the world, start by doing this. Number one, family. So do family well. And if, you, if, you, if you're single, you can still be a proponent of good family. You're like, hey, I value family. How can I help you guys that have small kids? How can I teach people or kids, for instance, to honor their parents? Family. We value family. It's so important. It's the building blocks of reformation. If we want to change the city, we can do, if we can do family well, everything's going to change. You can get involved in arts and entertainment. You're going to say, hey, God, I'm going to be the salt and the light in this environment. And we have friends in this specific mountain, this sphere of influence. It's the most difficult one probably. Because they're very vocal about everything that's not godly. And you sometimes speak up and sometimes you need to keep your mouth. So you need wisdom. And a lot of my friends have gone into that area. They want to be this actress or actor. And then just to get a break, they then sign up for a role that's not godly. And what happens? The anointing gets removed. And then you can see just them removing themselves from the kingdom of God. Three, business. You can do business in a way that honors the Lord, honors God, provides jobs, give money away, be generous, doing it excellently, because that's also representing who God is. He's a God of excellence. Media, how, how can we assist our media to tell good stories? What's really happening, not to be sensational. Education. What kind of influence can we have in education? You can, for instance, if your kids are in school, you can get and help with the overfear, the oververeniging. Or you can get involved just at the rugby and the cricket. You can just stand there and you can assist with what's happening. You can be the salt and the light. Government. How can we help, for instance, our local municipality? How can we assist them? Can we pray for them? I had a great conversation last year with Michelle Gretz, who's our municipal manager. And basically what we asked her is, how can we assist you? And one of the things that she said, Amo, just pray. Pray. We need the church to pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for wisdom. Pray for politics. Pray that people will not be self-serving, but they will actually serve the people. Religion. There are 
so many different rep- religions. For instance, just represented here in George. I went to cut my hair on Friday there with the Egyptians. And they're not Christian. Muhammad was the guy who cut my hair. So while I'm, while I'm sitting there listening to the, to the, I don't know what kind of chants it were, but it was, it, was not, it was not gospel music from Hillsong. I was like praying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How can we engage with people, people from different religions? Because it's not always about, hey, we are better than others. It's actually about engaging them. Some of you need to invite a Muslim couple into your home to have a meal with you. Some of you need to go and say, hey, Lord, in my sphere of influence, in my relationships, where are people that don't know Jesus, that follow a different religion? Whether it's an atheist or a Buddhist or a New Ager, whatever it might be. And you invite them over. You say, hey, kids, today we're just going to bless Tani Sunny. We're going to bless her. We might not even use the name of Jesus. We might pray for the food, but that's it's going to be the initial step into her heart. We're just going to bless her. Amen. So we want to have that kind of influence, but the only way that you can have that is if your inner life represents the kingdom of God. Because often we start with, and the question we ask ourselves is, what should I do? In other words, where should I be salt? But that's not the first question. The first question that you need to ask is, what's happening on the inside of me? How can I be transformed on the inside of me? Because it's on the inside where the light starts shining and where it diffuses into the darkness around us. So John 3, 1 to 5, for me, is the key. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He is a leader of the Pharisees, but he's intrigued by what's happening with Jesus. And he says this, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and that you come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So important to note, so Nicodemus says, hey, the reason why I'm coming to you is because I see the signs. People are going to come to you if they see the manifestation of God's glory on your life. They're going to come to you and say, hey, I see these signs. Tell me, why are you so different? Why can you remain calm in that very aggressive and violent board meeting. So he, see this, he sees that signs and, he's, and, then he, and Jesus replies to him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. A radical statement Jesus is making. He says, I cannot do too much with you. He's speaking to Nicodemus, but he's also speaking to us. If you're only human, if you're just a normal human being. So in other words, you've been born in the flesh. You're a human being. You have flesh and bones. 
If you really want to see the kingdom of God, if you really want to see transformation, then you need to be born again. And some of you have experienced this already, but you, you can't really understand or you don't really understand how much of the transformation already happened in your spirit and you just need to let it out. But this is where transformation and where we become the saltiness to the earth, where this is happening. So here at the end, Jesus is saying, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's saying, if we try and do something in our human strength, in our fleshly nature, it's just going to stay fleshly. It's going to be powerless. But if we get born again, in other words, we commit our lives to God, and He renews our spirit, man, and we become a new creation in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Then we will start having a spiritual impact. And that is where the kingdom of God is most powerful, is when we rely not on our human fleshly talents and giftings, but we rely on what God has done on the inside. So some of you need to go back and say, hey, Lord, am I really born again? Because what comes out when I get squeezed, when people put pressure on me, when the world's against me, that's not very spiritual. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That is very fleshly. So I think God's just calling us back say, hey, you as an individual, you can start here. Lord, I want to be born again. And I know this can only happen once, but I, I really want this. Manifest that born again experience that happened to me when I was at the fiercest fear camp when I was 13 years old. Lord, I want that again. I want that fresh experience of you transforming my inner man so that I can transform my circumstances. But you cannot do it if you're only in the flesh. Some of us are born again, but we are so fleshly in the way that we think about life, the way that you think about yourself, and the way that you think about what God can do through you. And you say, Lord, I want to take this mind of flesh, which Paul says is enmity, is that enmity with God. In other words, it's an enemy of God, the mind of flesh. I want you to remove that, and I'm going to choose through disciplining my mind and my eyes and what I read and what I take in, to understand that I am